There's a relatively new term that you need to be aware of. It's intersectional, intersectional. It's also being used with environmentalism, so intersectional environmentalism. This is, again, a new term. It's a scary term. It's being taught to your children in their schools today. And it's a term that's being used along with critical race theory. So what does this have to do with environmentalism? Well, what they're saying is intersectional environmentalism equates to environmentalism that is racist-based. Oh, boy. Here we go. Plus, Earth Day, of course, has now come and gone. I've got some Earth Day predictions for you from the 1970s showing you how this whole environmental scare that the climate crisis is upon us. And if we don't do something right now, let's put it this way. What they've been spewing all these decades is nothing more than verbal air pollution. We're going to talk about it in Hidden Headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom. Well, thanks for joining me, everyone. Brian Sussman here, Hidden Headlines. It's always a pleasure to bring these podcasts to you. By the way, there's another podcast I'm producing. It's entitled Another Chance. These are Christian Bible-based daily devotionals. They run about 15 minutes, and I'm really excited about these. They're beginning to pick up steam, getting more and more listeners all the time. I believe these are bite-sized podcasts that you can easily consume that are going to encourage you and equip you to be the man or woman that God has called you to be. Again, it really doesn't matter where you are in this Christian journey. You could be just kicking the tires of faith, or perhaps you've been a Christian for some time. I'm hoping and believing that these podcasts are going to be a great source of inspiration for you. Again, Brian Sussman's Another Chance podcast. You can find out more about it by just going to my website, briansussman.com. And again, I hope you'll check them out. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please share with other people. All right, let's get into intersectional environmentalism. I had no idea what this was until just a few weeks ago. I was contacted by worldnetdaily.com. It's my first go-to website every morning for the truth. I love these people. They were really the first alternative news source in the country. Uh, they started doing their thing way back in the 90s, and they've been doing it ever since. Their publisher is Joseph Farah, a wonderful, wonderful man. The gentleman who runs his commentary page, and by the way, World Net Daily, that's the organization that published my two books, ClimateGate, as well as uh, Ecotyranny. The gentleman who runs their commentary page contacted me a few weeks ago, and he said, boy, you, you've really got to try and pack this for our people. 
It's something we just heard about recently, and it, it almost sounds as if the left's circular firing squad is uh, taking out their own at this particular point. Or as, as the editor of the commentary page said, said environmentalists seem to be snacking on one another. <laughs> Intersectional environmentalism. I, it was new to me. And if it's new to me, it's probably new to you. So I started parsing the term intersect. I don't even know what intersectional is. Intersectional environmentalism, it's a title that seems to beg for a PG-13 rating. Some material may not be suitable for children. So I'm trying to figure out what is this term, intersectional. So I had to go back. It was coined from thin air in 1989 by a key player in the critical race theory domain named Kimberly Crenshaw. So if if you're a lefty, who's engaged in social media, you've probably heard of Kimberly Crenshaw. For the rest of us, right over the head. But like so many things, the left, I believe, I believe the left is, is run by, so to speak, by Satan himself. And if you're a believer in the biblical description of Satan and who this character really is, now, Satan is a fallen angel. He, he's more intelligent than any human. And that's how he's able to come up with all this, these crafty plans that the left seems to conjure up out of nowhere. I believe they're a direct download from the gates of hell. But like so many things the left does, it's all about dialectics. It's all about creating words and creating phrases out of thin air and taking phrases that have meaning from, from those of us on the right and, and twisting them around. A case in point would be this. I've always been pro-life, and I know many of you listening are pro-life. During the last election cycle, as so many Christians decided to vote for Biden, despite his obvious anti-pro-life position, they begin to rationalize it like this. And I heard this from, from some of my friends who, who I, I, were, I was active with at one point in time in the pro-life movement. They would say, well, you know what, you guys, talking to people like me and probably like you, well, you guys are really just pro-birth. You see, we're pro-life. We care about babies in the womb, and we want to take care of all people from womb to tomb. We're the ones who are pro-life. You're just pro-birth. And with that, they were able to rationalize a vote for Joe Biden. And when you look what this administration is doing in terms of abortion, it's, it's hideous. They have just pulled the plug. They have gone balls to the wall, if you will, which, by the way, is an aviation term. They're just going all out to feed in to the plans of Planned Parenthood International. It's disgusting. But again, it's, it's dialectics. This is something Karl Marx was brilliant at. This is something his first political predecessor, Vladimir Lenin, was unbelievable at. 
doing. And this is what the left does to this day. They come up with these terms out of thin air. So let's begin on hidden headlines by unpacking this term intersectional so we can dive into what intersectional environmentalism is all about. So as we get into this, I'm going to be referring to the article that I wrote for WorldNet Daily. It's also up at my website, briansussman.com, under the blog. It's entitled, New Green Game Plan, Intersectional Environmentalism. And this, this phrase, intersectional environmentalism, is quickly being unleashed into the minds of Gen Z. If you have a kid in public school, trust me. If they haven't heard about it already, they will shortly. Millennials, same thing. And the Biden administration, oh, they're all over this term, environmentalism, intersectional environmentalism. Joe Biden probably couldn't explain this any more than he could bat his way out of a paper bag, but it's there. It's in writing. And again, the term intersectional Coined from thin air, 1989, Kimberly Crenshaw. Her contention at the time was and remains that the feminist movement, so intersectional was first being used in the feminist movement. She, as a black woman, was saying the feminist movement was too white. It was too middle class. It was too heterosexual. And she believed that the movement needed to become intersectional. Intersectional. Have you ever played? Have you ever played a word game with somebody like Scrabble, and the person comes up with, with a word on the board that isn't a word at all, but they swear it is. I mean, if you were playing Scrabble in 1989. What is intersectional? No, that's not a word. Forget it. It wasn't a word. It wasn't in the dictionary. It wasn't anywhere. She just made this word up. So she believed that the feminist movement needed to become intersectional and address the needs of women who come from different races, ethnicities, sexualities, classes, abilities, and so forth. So now, and this, this is very recent, this term is being paired with the environment. Th this all began last year. Last year. Critical race theorists were the one who took this term, turned it into a phrase, intersectional environmentalism. So critical race theorists contend that environmentalism has to shift from focusing on the needs of the white middle-class heterosexuals to every imaginable minority and in the process be used as an effective tool to forcefully demand equity for these various groups. Again, the left is no longer about equality. It's about equity. Equity is getting even. It's leveling the playing field. It's taking from those who have and giving those who have not. And a rock star in this growing movement is Leah Thomas. 
Leah Thomas is a climate activist, and she's what they call on social media an influencer, an influencer. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help those people who are influenced by these influencers. These, generally speaking, are people who don't read, don't think for themselves. They like being told what to think by people on social media. So Leah Thomas launched the phrase intersectional environmentalism at the height of the Black Lives Matter campaign, which followed the death of George Floyd. She defined this moniker on Instagram. So she's rolling out the term on Instagram. And here's how she defined it. You ready for this? Intersectional environmentalism is an inclusive version of environmentalism that advocates for both the protection of people and the planet. It identifies the ways in which injustices happening to marginalized communities and the earth are interconnected. It brings justices done to the most vulnerable communities and the earth to the forefront and does not minimize or silence social inequality. Intersectional environmentalism advocates for justice for the people and justice for the planet. Oh boy, here we go. You know, the people who believe that our planet is in peril and needs our help, somebody like Leah, what's her name here? Leah... Leah Thomas. (laughs) My guess is a person like Leah, perhaps, and so many of these climate activists have not been out in the middle of the ocean. You ever been out in the middle of the ocean on a sailboat, a small craft, or even a large craft, just in the middle of the ocean, you can't see the shoreline to save your life. How about this? The middle of the ocean in a storm. You look at the awesome power of the waves and the wind and the rain coming down. And you realize at that moment in time, you are a peon. You're nothing. Mankind collectively is nothing. The power of this mighty planet is driven by the very engines of God. The planet doesn't need our help. Have you ever been on a high mountain peak? Void of civilization below you. At that moment in time, you realize that this awesome terrestrial ball is is of its own. I contend that to say humans have the power to alter the climate is plain arrogant. We don't have that kind of power. I've had the opportunity to talk to two guys who were on the moon. And and talking to, and by the way, they're on our team when it comes to this environmental stuff. And they said, looking back on the earth, they realized, my gosh, we are nothing. Mankind is nothing. And and a moment like that on the moon will cause you just to 
repent of your sins because you realize you are, in fact, nothing compared to the Almighty Creator. But let's get back into this article at WorldNet Daily and also up at BrianSussman.com. If Donald Trump remained in the White House, I can tell you this. This new version of environmentalism, intersectional environmentalism, would be patiently baking in the left's doctrinal oven. But now that Jolly Green Joe sits in the Oval Office, it's, it's totally out of the office, friends. It's on a serving plate, complete with frosting procured by you and me, the taxpayer. In fact, this was an Earth Day headline from Detroit Today. It really says it all. Biden's new Environmental Justice Advisory Council prioritizes intersectional approach to climate issues. Now, can you read? Most people reading this would say, what? What? Anybody with a, with a brain in their head who's able to think for themselves would see that headline and think to themselves, what are they even talking about? But you see, the problem is people in these particular days in which we live, people who have gone through the public education system, for the most part, have not learned how to think. They've learned what to think. And therein lies the problem. However, there's one snafu that the left has to work out as they roll out this plan. The advocates of this intersectionalism are essentially snacking on one another. This new green wing is placing wealthy white environmentalists straight in their crosshairs. Now, despite the fact that many such people have been funding the Enviro movement for decades, they are now being called out for living in in their pristine suburbs, while turning a blind eye to the industrial milieu associated with the poorer neighborhoods. According to another popular social media influencer, her name is Anna Peichel. She contributes to Platform Women. She says this, the ones who get all the attention for their advocacy are often white and wealthy. <laughs> to which I say, okay, stop the press. The people who have been getting the attention to date are the ones funding the movement. They are the ones who have been doing research, so to speak, to support the environmental movement. That research would be called propaganda. So, yeah, for the most part, they are white. And for the most part, they have money. If not from their own pockets, it's money that they're able to procure from donors. So... This new crusade, now listen to this. This is where they're snacking on themselves. This new crusade has even gone so far to attack white vegans. In a piece that's posted at native at the Native American website Lakota Law, someone named Riley McCallan writes this. These militant vegans make a point of incriminating any behavior related to or in alignment with the consumption of animal products in the interest of saving the planet and respecting the animals. What this popular trope also tends to do is to disrespect historical and cultural traditions related to the consumption and use of animal products among communities of color. <laughs> okay, let's, let's just try boil this down. 
A lot of dialectics going on there, okay? They're PO'd at the white vegans because they say the white vegans don't get it. They're too inclusive. So what we have here is a circular firing squad within the ranks of the greenies, which, quite frankly, is, is entertaining to behold. By the way, in just a moment, I'm going to get to some Earth Day predictions from the 1970s. The first Earth Day was in 1970. <laughs> oh, this will be a riot. But in the meantime, here's the real deal in association with those predictions that I'm going to be getting to. The science is on our side. There is no human-caused climate emergency. The environmental challenges that we do face, for example, litter, clean water, regional air pollution, no one likes those, those are real, are generally and effectively addressed at the local and state levels without massive federal spending and burdensome regulations. I mean, listen, litter, we can do this. Clean water, we really could do this. Regional air pollution, we can work on that as well. And by the way, we have worked on that as well. And as a result, for an industrialized nation, we are the envy of the world. Don't forget that, the envy of the world. Nonetheless, this burgeoning intersectional doctrine now has the White House and much of Congress and a host of well-funded radicals demanding equity in the form of redistribution of wealth and elimination of all property rights and universal basic income as well. But all that said, I really believe that the eyes of America are being opened to the truth and the spirit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness will prevail. You've got to be hopeful, my friends. You've got to be hopeful. Especially when you hear predictions like this, which we need to be making more well-known all the time. <laughs> because Earth Day's come and gone, and the predictions that they have been making for, what, all of these decades are stupid because they never come true. For example, let's, let's go to uh, this one. Kenneth Watt, he was a very prominent ecologist back in the 70s, and he made it into some liberal administration at some point in time. I think it was the Clinton administration. Uh, he said, we have about five more years at the outside to do something. Otherwise, civilization, bye-bye. <laughs> Oh, speaking of civilization, this is another uh, prediction by a Harvard biologist named George Wald. Civilization will end within 15 or 30 years unless immediate action is taken against problems facing mankind. Okay. This is a New York Times editorial the day after the first Earth Day in 1970. Man must stop pollution and conserve his resources, not merely to enhance existence, but to save the race from intolerable deterioration and possible extinction. <laughs> so I guess we should have been gone by now. Here's another one, Paul Ehrlich. Paul Ehrlich was one of the founders of Earth Day, Stanford University biologist, professor emeritus, 
old guy who wrote uh, Population Bomb in 1968, which scared the bejeebers out of people. Population will inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increases in food supplies we make. The death rate will increase until at least 100 to 200 million people per year will be starving to death during the next 10 years. That was 1970. It didn't happen by 1980, didn't happen by 90, etc. Another promise from the left that scared people into submission and they're never held accountable. Here's another organizer for Earth Day, Dennis Hayes. He said, it's already too late to avoid mass starvation. Here's Life Magazine, 1970. Life Magazine was a really big uh, publication back in the day, probably certainly one of the top two or three publications in print. Scientists have solid experimental and theoretical evidence to support the following predictions. In a decade, now again, this is the scientists. Remember, nowadays it's, I believe in science. I follow the science. Okay, well, what was the science telling you, dolts, back in 1970? In a decade, urban dwellers will have to wear gas masks to survive air pollution. By 1985, air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching the earth by one half. Here is one more for you. This is from Senator Gaylord Nelson. He was a senator from Wisconsin. He was also one of the three founders of Earth Day. He said this. He's quoting a guy named Dr. S. Dylan Ripley, who was secretary of the Smithsonian Institute. He said, Dr. Ripley believes that in 25 years, somewhere between 75 and 80 percent of all the species of living animals will be extinct. Never happened. Oh, but they believed in the science. What a bunch of garbage. They may believe in the science, but you know what we believe in, friends? The truth. Hidden headlines. Faith, family, freedom. Thank you for joining me, my friends. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. Appreciate your listenership. I'm Brian Sussman. And until next time, God bless you. And God have mercy on the United States of America.